attacking our church. And it showed up on Wednesdays and Sundays in the form of frustration. It showed up in the form of depression. It showed up mostly in the form of discouragement. You'd be surprised when your life is totally involved in ministry how much you fight with discouragement. Uh, when we start our services and there's two people sitting in the seats, it's a subject that I have to deal with every time. And on the Monday night, I began to talk with the people who are learning the New Testament survey, learning the foundations of our faith. And I said, you know what? You have the power to change this. If you walk into the services excited, if you walk into the services looking for the opportunity to praise God, if you're responsive, it'll catch on, and the people around you will do it. And I know it because when I was a young man, and I had not a clue that I could preach yet, I certainly couldn't worship. I was the rabbit, so to speak. A rabbit is a guy on a track team you sent out to set a pace that nobody else can keep up with. And it's a strategy. Well, we would go into the home of Presbyterian people, Methodist people, people who were not spirit-filled, and the worship team would worship, and I would worship at a furious pace. And you know what? Before long, they were not self-conscious anymore. Before long, they found themselves doing what they didn't think that they could do. They weren't self-conscious anymore. And as I told the people that on Monday night, Wednesday and Sunday were different. And I felt something release. And I was very excited because I knew that we stepped over a hurdle. Our lives are about resistance with the enemy. There is no question about that. It will always be that way. And when you win in one area, he will show up in a new area. That's how that works. Well, the next thing that began to happen is key moments where we need to be able to depend upon each other. People took a break from the race. A couple days, a couple hours, a couple minutes. Uh, some, who knows. But just decide to set down the pattern of life that we've laid down and just give up for a little while. Saints, people die when we do that. I couldn't, I don't really, even really know how to bring the word because when you want to encourage somebody out of despair, you don't want to beat anybody to death. That makes more despair. And I understand that. But I wanted you to hear that song and I want to read you this. Listen to Philippians. Philippians 3. You you know, if you want to turn there, great. But don't get focused on the words on the page. Listen to me, and I promise I'll read it just as it says it. In Philippians 3, verse 10, it says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. The apostle says that there is power in suffering. When is the last time you went to work and you were really happy about being there? And if you don't go to work, when's the last time you woke up and you were excited about cleaning your house? Those day-to-day -day things that you think are suffering, there is power in it when we do it for Jesus. We have to learn to reframe this argument. If the people closest to you would not describe you as a happy person on a regular basis, you are failing. Okay? And I'm tired of standing at the pulpit and telling people to smile. That's not my job. You're a Christian. You're already supposed to do that. My job is to teach you more about Jesus, to help you in the moment that you slip, 
Not during the days, hours, weeks that you give up and just don't want to try. That's not Christ-like. This is what he goes on to say. And so somehow to obtain the resurrection of the dead, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. Guys, if you think the Stevens household is not full of argument, full of sin, full of strife of every kind just like yours, full of suffering, you're wrong. But we learned a pattern of life from people who learned it from people who learned it from Jesus and we refuse to let it go. There's never been a time you've come to me and I've not welcomed you. There's never been a time I walked into a room and you didn't want to speak with me. We need to examine our hearts and find out why that would be. But I press on to take hold. This is Gabe's song. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm persuaded that in our weakest moments, where you are absolutely convinced that you are about to fail, that you're about to be swallowed and that this can't be done, which is where the devil works to get you full time, you have a decision to make. You will either grab hold of the King of Kings and he will pull you out, or you will wallow, in pity and despair and die. When Achan sins, though, it's not just Achan who pays for it. And our church, our church is a family. It's not possible for Daniel not to do good, for him to not have a good day, and it not affect everybody else. Is Daniel going to have days where he's not doing good? Of course. Of course, and we're there to encourage him. But it is not okay for Daniel to decide to have a bad day. That's not okay. That's taking a break from the race. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's still straining. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if you think differently on some point, that too God will make clear to you. It does not matter whether or not you think this kind of message is just Eric's opinion. Because it's not. It's the Apostle Paul's opinion. And he said if you think differently about it, God will make this clear to you. Our lives are not our own anymore. And when we take communion and we sing about the blood and say he purchased us, that means he owns us. People that have stocks are not happy when the stock doesn't do good for a single day. I've seen people's whole life go right into a toilet because the stocks did not do good in a single day. Jesus spent the most precious substance on the planet so that our joy would be complete so that we would hear the good news of great joy, and so that we should overcome. I read a letter that I wrote to myself in 2006, sitting in the maze home at a men's meeting. I listed everybody who was in the church at that time, and there was a theme that kept coming up over and over and over that we had been praying about since June of 2006, that Shalom and joy would be words commonly associated with the people of our fellowship. 
So your names are on a sheet of paper in my house that I pray over regularly where when somebody thinks about you, what we want to come up is that person is at peace and that person is full of joy. That's what I believe God's goal is for our fellowship. And it's something that we have to work on. Now, I'm not upset. Some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, he's talking about me and he doesn't know the whole story. What you don't know is that I get all five reports on a single day. Okay? It always sounds like it is just about you. But it's not. It's when I stand up to preach and I hear that several key players are not on the field that day. It's when we need something from you because God brought you into this fellowship because we need you like you need us and you've decided to go on vacation. It's when it was difficult for your brother or sister to get out of bed and go to work that day. And when they ran into you, they were hoping for the spice of life. And instead, they got the gradu left over in the pan. It cannot be this way. Saints, if we were facing the persecution that the early church faced, we might allow you sympathy in small quantities and a once-a-year dose of pity. But every one of you are so blessed, it's unreal. Gabe and I just got back from the garbage dumps. And nobody in that place, not one, had children who moped around. Not one. Those kids were drinking out of soda cans that were in a garbage dump and not even their kids smoked. There's certain behavior that we have to begin to put down if we are going to be mature in Christ. It's a pattern that Paul lays down that we have no choice about. Mandy and I have had at length discussions about whether or not a feeling can be wrong. I'm not interested in debating it with anybody. I'm not going to argue with you about whether or not your feelings are wrong. But what I'm going to tell you is the expression of some of these feelings can be satanic. Absolutely can. I do not allow the children in my household to walk around with long faces. You know why? I'm responsible for bringing them up in the Lord. And so you teach them to command their spirit to be happy. And they tell you they don't know how, and you show them how. Doesn't mean that they never cry or they're never sad. There's an appropriate place for every emotion in the whole spectrum, and God gave them to you as a blessing. But when you submit to them as your master, you become a slave, and it becomes your master. And we're going to read the word that says, nothing should master you, period. 1 Corinthians 6, there is a very familiar scripture. I'm only going to read you two more. 1 Corinthians 6, there is a scripture that nobody wants to apply. It says, everything is permissible for me, 6.12, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. As long as we're talking about sexual immorality, we're good here, right? Maybe. What happens when we insert the other voices of the flesh? An unhealthy fear. Depression. Jealousy. Anger. Any other voice of the flesh, what happens when we insert it there and say, don't be mastered by it? The teaching in the day was that just like your body got hungry and you fed it, 
your desires themselves were not wrong, you should give in to them. Speaking about sexual immorality. Now, all of you would be repulsed at that. And yet, when we insert other things into the same passage, meaning the same thing, it's suddenly comfortable and at home. I just want to spend this month by myself. God didn't make me like Pastor Eric. I'm not an extrovert. If He called you to be in Christ, He called you to be the light of the world. The light of the world. My job's hard. You don't understand. Is it really? Spend some time. Do something for me. Monday, sit down and write about the events of your day. Sit down and write about the events of the day. What great and mighty demands are upon you. Then read the book of Hebrews. Any of you had your property confiscated? Anybody here shedding their blood at the moment for the gospel? You got a daughter that was raped by a Roman soldier last week just because he thought it would be fun? The early church dealt with all of those things, and the apostle still says, you be joyful, and your joy is complete in Christ. Sometimes we're so affluent, we're so blessed, that we don't understand what persecution is, and we have to invent reasons to be upset. Piro didn't look at me right today. The music was bad. I'm tired. I'm tired. Yeah. Great, mighty persecution. Surely Satan himself has brought that. And so what is our response to it? Do we take hold of that which took hold of us, or do we yield in a selfish, childlike fit and just give up? Just give up. You say, well, I've never done that. Really? I want to tell you about sometimes I've done that. I'm driving in traffic, and a kid cuts in front of me, sticks out his finger, and flips me off. What do you think my reaction is? No, I didn't get out of the car. I didn't want to fight. I didn't flip him off. But you know what I was immediately? Hacked off. Mad. You know what that means? You know what it means when your pastor is mad because that guy did that. Can anybody teach you anything, by the way? You think you've got the ability to make John happy? I promise I can try, and if he doesn't want to be, there is no way to make John happy. How about angry, though? Can I make John angry? If John is determined not to become angry, I cannot it upon That's something he has to decide what does it mean about your pastor when I am hacked off beyond belief because somebody cut me off in traffic and gave me a one-finger salute? You know what it means? I decided to submit to that person's control at that moment. They instituted something, they inserted something, and I yielded to it. That makes them a master over me. The same is true of lust. The same is true of depression or sorrow, or any other thing. In itself, it can have a useful purpose. But when it begins to master you and take you in a direction that is not God's will for your life, you have to take hold of Jesus. If we're not careful, we can all love Jesus, all speak in other tongues, all prophesy, and all the men will have a pornography addiction and all the women will be depressed. You think that that can't happen? Look around you, saints. Do you think there is anybody in here so holy that that cannot happen? You're a fool. So, well, then how then do you defend against what the devil wants for you? You cling to Christ. And when you have a desire that says, I will do this, any craving of the flesh, whether it's sexual or emotional or pity or any other thing, you throw it on the ground, stand to your feet and say, I will not because Christ died for me.
and then you busy yourself about something that Jesus would do. If you want to make the argument that these emotions are okay and they're just natural, I'm fine as long as you can place them in Jesus' life. Because there is a place for anger. When people misrepresent God and extort other people, you should be angry. The Bible tells you that. There's a place for sorrow. When Lazarus has died and you look and you see the effects on his family, there should be sorrow. I somehow suspect that the emotions that sometimes master us don't meet the definitions, though. Go to Romans 6. So why would I even do this? I spent the day talking with Gabe Mays, thoroughly encouraged about what God's doing in his life. In a short time, the young man has made a 180 degree turn and is soaring. And weren't y'all blessed by his song? Wrote the song at a time in his life that was not perfect. I found out God uses people that are not perfect. I found that out by looking into a mirror. I haven't obtained perfection in any of these areas. What I'm trying to tell you is we are working day and night to set an example that you should follow. And it's not okay to back out. So, but this church is all up in my face. This church doesn't allow me any secrecy, any privacy. That's because we've learned what happens in the dark recesses of secrecy and privacy. The best thing you can do to protect yourself is openly expose every weak area and say, please help me. I stood in a men's meeting here recently and I said, I will pay for it. Go get content software for your computers. Pastor, you need content software? I'm smart enough to know that I'm like every other man and I could fall too and I don't want to. We lay down a pattern that says you do whatever it takes to resist sin because the stakes are high. You know the reason there's not a thousand people sitting here? There's a bunch of reasons. One is I'm so full of things that are difficult for people to hear, some of which are godly and some of which aren't, then a thousand people wouldn't tolerate me. You're pretty special that God's called you here. But you need to make no mistake. Our ministry is not off course. And He didn't call you here because you were perfect the way you were. He called you here so that you could be refined. He called you here so that precious metals could be made into holy, sanctified objects. And we like that fine as long as it's about the person on the left or right of you. We don't like it very fine when the craftsman's hammer finds its way into a crack in your metal. And it hurts. And what we want to do is withdraw from fellowship. Anytime you don't want to fellowship, don't want someone praying with you, don't want to worship or read your word, you don't even have to ask yourself if you're in sin. Some of you are smart enough that the devil knows that won't work. So what he tells you is you don't have time. I'm just too busy. You're not too busy to spend some time with the king that made you, saved you, set you free. Romans 6 deals exactly with this subject. When we say sin, you say, but it's not sin, it's just the way I feel. The way you feel can be sin. It can be. Not always, not always sin to feel down. But when God says be joyful always and you realize that, you have a responsibility to do something about it. And when you don't, 
it becomes sin. I find this interesting. The same people that tell me that they cannot control this behavior expect their husbands to control rage. It's just a feeling. So, but it's hormonally driven. Oh, you think rage is not? I give you enough testosterone and you'll want to fight too. They expect their husbands to control other areas of their life that I probably don't even need to mention. We're not a slave to any emotion and nothing can master us. Otherwise, thanks, all the devil has to do before our mission trips, all the devil has to do before our outreaches is push certain buttons and all of a sudden the church is hopping on one leg. You don't understand my problem. I don't have to. I can look out and see that the devil's pushing on the boards and the fence and in one day four fall over. I don't have to understand it to know it's satanic. And I've spent enough time arguing about whether folic acid or Prozac or anything else is an answer. It's an answer if it works, fine. I'll shoot it at you from a gun before you walk through the door if that helps. You do whatever it takes. I'm not arguing anymore about whether a content filter for a guy trying to stay holy is the answer. I don't care. I'll pay for it for you. Just be holy. You understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about an all-out reckless abandonment of what anybody thinks. Let's just be holy. Let's follow the example. And you say, but God understands me. Yes. Listen to the first verse of Romans 6. Shall we, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We're so slow sometimes to characterize our own behavior as sin. God didn't call anybody in this church to be a recluse. And if you want to argue with me about that, I'll do it with you privately. But you need to understand something. The mission statement of our church is not to be a recluse. And he would not have made me your pastor if he wanted you to be a recluse. So you're left with a couple options. You can either give up that vision for your life, or you can find a new pastor. I can't imagine what the devil whispered in your ear when I said that. Brad Hall told me one time while we were walking, he'd been here a week, he said, this church is like a boot camp. It is. Very much. Brad's done well in the boot camp. Very much. It is absolutely about fundamentally changing the way that we view ourselves and the way we view the world into the image of God. And some of what God gave you is beautiful and should not be discarded. And some of you are more emotional than others. Some of you are more passionate than others. Some of you like to write songs and some like to sit quietly. And it's all okay as long as it conforms to the image of God laid out in this Word. But there are lines that you know good and well we cross that do not conform to the image of God's Word. Darren is a good friend of mine. He doesn't talk as much as I do. That's not wrong. But if Darren refuses to speak, something's wrong. You might talk an awful lot like John. That's not wrong. And if you won't shut up when God says shut up, and then it becomes wrong. All of us are being shaped. You say, well, I feel like I'm always being corrected and my God is, this is the bully pulpit. Yes, it's the bully pulpit. Absolutely, and I'm giving you what I got from God and what I get on a regular basis. I don't know what you get when you pray, but when I pray, I do not get warm, fuzzy flowers that descend on me from heaven that tell me what a wonderful human being I am and powder my neck with flour, baby powder. I don't get that. What the King of Kings tells me 
is what he expects of me and the ways in which I need to shape up. If you're not getting that when you pray, I think you need to get into the Word more. Say, but what about the God of love who encourages me? Yes, it's encouragement. You know why? Because when he says do it and do it now and you did it, you should feel a sense of accomplishment. You have no right to be encouraged or sit and feel a sense of accomplishment if you are sitting on your salvation whining about your life. God provided all around us examples of people that have overcome amazing things. We got in our church a woman healed of cancer. She got more problems riddling her body than I know how to count, more than any of you have. She's quick to point out that she doesn't always agree with me, and I understand that. I love her. That's what family's for. But something I admire is she's not a whiner. So that's just her. Yeah, you can learn from it. You could. i got a wife that I love immensely. And it's amazing that people, I mean, it's amazing to me, can turn a negative gaze towards her and start to pick her apart. Friends, all I can tell you is more than any woman I've ever known, she goes without sleep on your benefit. She gets up early, she gets things ready for church, and she hauls around three kids all over the earth for your benefit. Next time you tell somebody you just can't, you need to consider what is already being done on your behalf every day. So it's not the way to build a big church. I, I don't care about a big church. I hadn't for a long time, and that's why I'm here. I mean, that is the God's honest truth. I can have as big a church as I wanted to. I have that gifting where I can entertain you as much as I want. I could do that. That's not what God called me to do. Because in the end, you can be entertained and go straight to hell and be ineffective for God the whole time. I just want a group of people that are sold out that will do anything for Jesus. I think Romans 6 lays it down. I really do. So, in this scripture, all of you take it out. We're going to read this together. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. How would you define a new life? I can tell you one thing for sure. It's different than the old one. And when you find yourself saying and doing things that are like you've always done, that's the old life. Say, but I've always been this way. <laughs> well, we've got a problem because you're supposed to be in a new life. New. It's not important that it's always been this way for you. Yes, your struggle may be bigger in one area than Brandon's is in one area. And you have the same holy requirement. The same aim. So, but pastor, you just misunderstood me. You didn't understand that this was going... I don't care. I really don't care. And hear me, neither does Jesus. You are judged by the fruit that is on your tree, not the circumstances around your life. You understand that? You are judged by the fruit that is on your tree, not the extenuating circumstances. You ever been in traffic court and a judge says, I am not going to hear... All of the reasons you did what you did. I want you to step up and say I am guilty or step up and say I am innocent. And people line after line get up and say, but see, I needed to be, and the judge says, I'm guilty or innocent. God is a fruit inspector and your life will show something. And if what you find out is guilty, 
It's okay. We can change it today. You forget what is behind you. Press towards what is ahead. But you know what? It requires you to be determined and to say, I am sick of the old life. And the truth is, there are behaviors that many of us have had. I'm going to go ahead and be kind and put it in the past tense. Prior to hearing this, have had that are nothing more than a selfish indulgence. Leave yourselves back door to sin. Guys that leave themselves a password to a computer. Watch a movie that they know has something that's bad in it. Women that say, well, I'll just be alone for this while because I want to be sad. It's the devil. It is absolutely the devil. I hope I never have to preach like this again. I really do. It breaks my heart. I would. I came in here prepared to tell you about John Nelson Darby and a rapture theory. And that's what I like to talk about. It's a whole lot more fun. But you could know everything about John Nelson Darby, dispensationalism, the rapture theory, Edward Irving, Scotland, Ireland, and, and uh, a Niagara Falls conference in Canada. And I can teach it all to you. And it won't do a bit of good to you if on the day God needs you to show up for battle, you feel disqualified because you haven't been holy or else you're just hiding from the whole game altogether. I bet if we took a show of hands, we're not going to. There's not one of you that hasn't struggled with depression. I see it even in my kids. Think, what the H to the double L does a kid have to be depressed about? You don't need a reason. You just need to be selfish. You don't need a reason. You just need to decide to indulge your selfish nature. You don't need a reason to sin. You just have to decide to. Same is true the other way. But you don't understand the feelings I had. I just had a baby, right? Yeah, thousands of women have been having one for thousands of years, and you may struggle worse than every other woman in the world, but the requirement is still the same. The requirement is still the same. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. If it says no longer slaves to sin, can we say that you were once slaves to sin? Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. We're not talking about the cessation of life. We're not talking about His heartbeat stopping no longer has mastery over Him. We're talking about the enemy that faces the human race and takes us to a place where our heart stops beating in a uh, moment of sin so that we find ourselves before God unholy. That no longer has any mastery over him. He's already faced it and was found to be holy. There is nothing that is supposed to have mastery over us. Said, but i got issues, Eric. I'm working through them. Good. Good. Work through them. I promise nobody in this church will shoot you while you are working through them. It's when you stomp your feet and demand that we're supposed to accept it. It will never occur. There's going to be friction between you and I for the rest of our lives. And you know what? I expect the same from you to me. How many of you would put up with me if I was a pervert? How many of you would come in here and want to learn from me if I was a sexual deviant? 
Probably not very many, huh? You expect something of me. What do you expect? You expect my life to conform to the image of Christ. So do you expect perfection? You'd be disappointed. But you expect me to fight for that. And when you see an area of sin in my life, if you don't see me fighting against the sin, you're going to quickly lose respect for me. I want you to understand something. The same is true in reverse. It is absolutely true in reverse. I love you all. My job is to help you, to guide you. But at the point you give up and you don't want to fight sin anymore, you are wasting our time. I'll just take my ball and go home. Well, you'll die. You will absolutely die. You ever had a crazy thought, since I'm going to leave, I'm just going to get in the car and go? What do you think would happen to you if you did? Huh? You ever been a husband mad about having to provide for your family? Upset that they don't show enough love, enough respect, maybe the beans were burned when you got home, the socks were on the floor, whatever it was, and you thought, I'm just not doing this anymore. What do you think will happen when you step out of God's will for your life? You may have a new secretary that looks like a Barbie doll, but you will both go to hell. You will die. The way that God has lined out for us is a way to live, and it is abundant life. We need to change our frame of perspective. I know some of you are more blessed than in any other year of your life, and yet it does not come out of your mouths. And I wonder why. I think, hmm, that's deceived. When you're more blessed than you've ever been before, but it does not come out of your mouth, that is deception. The enemy has slid something that is not rose-colored over your lenses that you're looking at. It is sin-colored. So all you see is the negative. It can't be that way. It can't be that way for me. We have got to be able to look and see the glory of the Lord in our circumstances. To the point that like the Moravians, we would say, oh, the slave traders are here. I'm going to sell myself on the slave blocks because it will give me a chance to get the gospel around the world. Who in here wants to sign up for that? And yet Christians did it because they wanted to attain a better resurrection. What are we really asking from you? Show up with smiles on your face. That's what we're asking for. Say, well, it'll be a lie. Good, lie to me. Lie to me every day. Lie to me so much until it becomes real. You become a habitual liar if your lie is a smile. I never forget watching Amistad. In Amistad, there are some slaves. Their lives are miserable. They've been chained, naked, drugged across the world, and are now sitting in what can't even be described as a prison. And they said, look, here come the miserable ones. You know what they were talking about? The Christian abolitionists that were coming to set them free. The slaves didn't know what they were. They knew that they held a book with a cross on it and called them the miserable ones. If we took the last seven days of your life and we had them on a videotape, what would they display? I did a funeral this last week. I said, if this was your funeral, what would people say? It's funny how silent the room got that if they don't hire a preacher who stands up and lies, what will they say about you? People have fanciful thoughts. Oh, wow. I hope the good outweighed the bad. Oh, shut up. What are people going to remember? Are they going to remember that you had a frown or that you had a smile? Are they going to remember that you were kind to them or that you weren't kind? Are they going to remember that your life looked like Jesus or that you talked about Jesus but your actions said something else? 
See, holiness is an issue, and we tend to think about it as, well, I'm not going to sin in this way, I'm not going to sin in this way. We're talking about what your life projects. And I tell you, the one image I cannot think of of Jesus is moping around, or an area I struggle with, hacked off at the world. I don't think so. In the same way, verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When you wake up and you don't feel like getting out of bed, I'm not telling you to say that it's not true. It's even okay to walk in and tell us, I didn't feel like getting out of bed. As long as you're willing to also then say, but I'm going to count that dead, and I'm going to act as if it's not true. It is totally okay for my kids to say, I don't feel like going to church tonight. As long as they're willing to then look at me and say, but I know it's what Jesus wants, and I want to do it, and so I'm going to do it with a smile. I'm willing to acknowledge any voice of the flesh that you have. I'm not willing to yield to it. If your flesh rules you, saints, it's not the life that God desires for you. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Did you hear that? Do not let it reign. Sin's full-time job is to master you. Sin's full-time job is to take the reins of your life and control it. You know what your full-time job is? Don't let it. So there is a war raging in you. And this is what the whole seventh chapter of Romans is about. The war that is raging in you. And as long as there is a full-time battle on your part, you are credited with righteousness. But who are you lying to if you take a week out of the game at a time? There's no way out of the ring, saints. There's not. When you signed up, you locked horns with the enemy of enemies. And you agreed to be empowered by the Almighty God. There is no way out of the ring. There is no vacation. There is no coasting downhill. It will never come. You can be like a child. Cover your head with your hands. Lay down and let him kick you around for a while at everybody else's expense if you want. But don't be surprised when people lose respect for you or anybody in charge of you. Have you thought about that? What does it say about you if I'm unholy and you sit in my church? What does it say about you? There's a presidential candidate who's finding out about that right now. What does it say about you? So what does it say about your spouse? if they tolerate your unholy behavior. You ever thought that your life is not your own anymore? Not only does it belong to Jesus, it belongs to everybody else. Do you know that the Proverbs say that a woman that works very hard brings honor to her husband? You ever consider that the reverse might also be true? I don't care what it is that motivates us to be holy. We have to do it and know that there are huge stakes. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? He's saying, do you sin because you don't suffer immediate punishment? Some of us do. If God himself slaps me across the face the moment that I sinned, in some ways I would prefer it. I probably wouldn't sin the next. 
the fact that he's kind to me and I don't suffer immediate punishment for doing that, how do I repay him for that? By doing it some more? That's the discussion that's going on. So, your spouse didn't shoot you the last time that you sinned. You going to repay him by doing it some more? What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under the grace? By no means. Do you know, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? You are slaves to the one you obey. You know why I don't think we ought to allow our kids to walk around with the molly grubs? We're teaching them to be a slave to the molly grubs. You know why I don't think we ought to tolerate in each other anything other than Christ-like behavior? We're teaching ourselves that it's okay to be a slave to a sin. I want to tell you the truth. The reason that people form like groups and they get comfortable in four walls and a pews with a steeple is because they've agreed to not touch certain areas. We're not going to make each other uncomfortable. Our job in here is to make each other uncomfortable. And you know how the Bible calls it? Spurring one another on towards holiness. Iron, sharpening iron. That's our job. And you know what? You should thank people for doing it. If you get a message on grace and you run up and hug and kiss your pastor, that says something about you. You get a message on holiness and you storm out mad, it also says something about you. Whether you're a slave to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to life, you're going to be a slave to something. You better decide today whether you want life or death. Your life is the sum total of your choices. It is. It's the sum total of your choices. Say, well, why am I where I'm at now? I can tell you why. You chose to be there. But you don't understand it. No. Somewhere, you chose the path that led you to the place where you're at now. If you don't like it, ask God to help you make better choices, but you better listen to Him when He tells you. And as far as I can tell, there's nobody in here that is in a horrible position in life. All of you have hope. All of you are eating. All of you have more friends than most because you got everybody in this room. you got a church and a pastor who loves you. Loves you. Not just likes you. Not just wants something from you. Not just looking for your tithe. That's another sermon. It's coming soon. Okay? Not why. I love you. And if I stand before Jesus and you are not standing with me, I feel like I will fail. And you know what? On that list of people that were in the church in June of 2000, and six, with prayer requests and hopes, there's some that are not with us today. And it's not because they're setting the world on fire for Jesus. And that hurts. It hurts. And I wonder if I'd stepped in to correct some of the things that I saw a little sooner, if they might be. Well, the world will never know. I won't know. But I know this. I will not stand by idly while we go to hell in a handbasket. And our church is doing well in so many regards. This is just kind of a soft spot that has come up and up and up and up. And at some point, we have to put it behind us. We're going to close. I'm going to read you the last verse. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The choices that you make every day to put down sin show that you're going to live forever with God. It guarantees you that you're going to live forever with God. The evidence that we're looking for, the fruit that we're looking for, starts with a smile on your face. Then it extends to kind deeds towards others. The last place I expect to look for the evidence of your salvation is in your theology, in what you know. I'm at the point where I really don't care what you think you know about God. Truth is, there are nobody in this room that studied it more or knows more than I do about it. So I'm not impressed anymore. You know what I'm looking for? A light that shines it. And I found a curious thing. Some that don't seem to know very much about God have got his character pegged because they live it every day. Others that seem to know an awful lot about God don't show it in their character at all. The Word says if we are mature, we take no other view other than our lives are aimed towards obtaining a better resurrection. I'm telling you, Jesus laid down a pattern. I'm working in that pattern, and we expect you to follow it. I don't want anybody in this church to leave here and think that they can't do it or I don't want you. I wouldn't have taken the time to do this if I didn't want you. And some of you, truthfully, that I thought might not be over to overcome something, have already overcome it many times. You know, we're talking about not habitual sin, but something that's periodic. Something that's periodic, but it comes up enough that it's a hindrance to the ministry. It's not just one or two of us, it's lots of us. I don't ever want, ever in this church again, to have to counsel a man about sexual sin. Don't want to do it. You know why? Too easy not to have to. It is too easy to use your neck, men. It's too easy to turn off a computer to put a content filter on. I don't ever want to sit with another woman in this church and hear the words, I can't control my emotions. The Word of God says you can. So we're not having the debate anymore. We're going to expect the men to be holy and we're going to expect the women to be holy. And you know what? We'll be encouraged when we see each other walking in a holy way. I promise you when we do this, when we pray, the fire will come down. I promise. God doesn't respond to perfection. That's not it. He responds to your efforts. That's what He's looking for. He's looking for you to start to turn a little bit towards Him in that area that's hardest for you to do it. And you know what? He will bless you a thousandfold over. So stand your feet. Let's pray.